Grace, peace, and mercy be upon you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we live by the law and we're reminded of it daily. Week before last, as Jen Gacky and I were preparing for Vacation Bible School, I'm in my office, she's in the library, and we start hearing sirens outside. And that's not unusual, as the staff and I hear sirens at least once a day, every day, going down, up and down Roy Rogers. But after the first Washington County Sheriff SUV drove by the church on Roy Rogers, we began hearing more sirens, and then more. And within a few minutes, I counted 15 Washington County Sheriff's vehicles whizzing by here, heading eastbound. I thought, oh my, what could be going on in Sherwood? I didn't know their destination was Nyberg Road in Tualatin, and we found out later an officer was shot at some apartments there. It was a grim reminder that we rely on the rule of law to have an ordered society. We believe in cause and effect because that's how the world works. The law is so much a part of our lives that the gospel, the good news of God's grace in Jesus, undeserved, unearned forgiveness, love to the loveless, grace to the undeserving, is sometimes like a strange foreign language. You can't run a business. You can't run an apartment complex, a family, a police force, a society on grace alone. Because old Adam will take advantage of it every time. The problem comes when we believe God deals with us the same way we deal with each other. That was Israel's problem. Israel tried to live by the law before God rather than by grace through faith in the promise. When the promise God made to Israel came true, when Israel's Messiah, Jesus, finally showed up, most of the Jewish people, ancestors of the Israelites, rejected him. Here was pure grace in the flesh, and Israel clung to the law. This is where it gets hard to teach children about Jesus during vacation Bible school. Every year I tell them the account of Jesus being arrested and beaten and crucified and all of that by bad men who didn't like him. You know, but then going into detail about who these bad men were and why they were out to get Jesus, it's complex. It makes an otherwise simple story more complicated. And those children who have been in church for a few years seem to have some knowledge of the Pharisees and the, you know, the Jewish authorities and that kind of thing, but others have no clue. And you wonder if they're getting anything out of it. But these things can take a while to work in a person's life. The account of Jesus' ancestry, his purpose, his cross, suffering and resurrection, and the after-effects Sometimes they, they have to age like a fine wine in a person's heart and mind before it, it bears fruit, right? In any case, the Apostle Paul took this issue very personally because he was a Jew, a descendant of the Israelites, and it may, it may have involved his whole family. He speaks of great distress, anguish of heart, 
sorrow over his fellow Israelites. Religiously speaking, they had it all. They had the laws of Moses, the prophets, the promises, the covenants, the temple, the worship, the priesthood. They had this whole system of being God's people and him being their God, forgiving them when they dealt badly with people and, 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 and forgiving them when they mistreated him. They were God's favored, chosen people, the apple of his, of his eye, and yet they didn't believe him. They didn't always believe in him. Paul was willing to be damned in their place if that were possible. He says, For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen. But that's not possible for Paul or necessary. Christ has already done that. If you look at the history of the world and the history of Israel, it would seem as though the word of God failed to deliver the goods for the Jews during and after the time of Christ. For the Gentiles, it was different, right? The word of God took off and spread. But with, the, but with God's chosen people, the gospel, which Paul called the power of God to salvation to both Jew and Greek, seemed to fail in the temple and the synagogues. But this was foretold by the prophets. But we also know that faith is not hereditary. Most of you know from experience that Christian parents don't necessarily raise up Christian offspring. We bring them to baptism. We bring them to church. We bring them to Sunday school, often dragging them out of bed or the house to do it. We teach them, confirm them, we encourage them, and yet many don't stay with it. Like the Israelites, they had gifts, but faith didn't appear to take hold. Or if it did, it withered like the seedling in the shallow soil or was choked by the weeds of the world. Paul's way of expressing this is revealing. Not all Israel is Israel, he says. Taking an Ancestry.com test and tracing your genetics back to Abraham doesn't make you an Israelite. And remember, Abraham had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael was the firstborn son of Abraham. He was entitled to the inheritance according to the law. But Ishmael was conceived in unbelief. Sarah trusted in the law of human fertility over the outrageous promise of God that a woman in her 90s could conceive and bear a son. So the promised seed of salvation would not fall upon Ishmael, but upon Isaac, because he was conceived in belief and trust in God and faith in the promise, not the laws of biology. The same holds for our Lord in his incarnation in human flesh. A virgin conceived and bore a son according to the promise of God. It goes against everything you learned about the facts of life. But God doesn't save by the law. He does his own saving where an old woman and a virgin conceived by the word and sinners are forgiven for the sin, for the, they're forgiven their sin for, for Jesus' sake 
and his suffering and death on the cross and resurrection from the grave. Speaking of the grave, our cemetery out here isn't just a burial ground. It's a ministry. One day during VBS, I walked the children through the valley of the shadow of death, the cemetery. I told them, I'm not Jesus, but I work for the man. He's my boss. But follow me through the cemetery and we'll pretend we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. You can't go in front of me. You must follow me. That's the challenge. We did that, and you know, most kids think graveyards are creepy because for years they've been fed secular imagery of Halloween graveyards with spooks in it and ghosts and horror movies and video games with zombies and so forth. So I showed them something new, a new way of looking at a graveyard. Sure, death is sad, but these people are alive in Christ, and when he returns, he'll raise everybody from the grave and take them to be with him on a new earth. Well, you can imagine the questions I got, right? I can't go through all of them for you, but they were good. And it was all good. And the cemetery really is a ministry in more ways than you may have thought before. But let's return to these two sons of Abraham for a sec. Do you want to be part of Ishmael or Isaac? Esau or Jacob? Pharaoh or Moses? Adam or Christ? Do you want your life to be an example that encourages others to believe or one that's a warning to others of the perils of resisting grace? This is what Martin Luther was confronted with in his life. He was born into, raised, and worked in a Christian worship and life system which dealt out huge amounts of warning and condemnation but very little grace, if any. Well, what grace was dealt out came at a price, right? Money put into the coffer. And that wasn't just perpetrated by the priesthood. Everybody treated each other this way. That you and I are here this morning, alive, upright, breathing, gathered in God's name, hearing the word and receiving the gifts of Christ, is entirely a gift. It's, it's total grace. You and I can do no more, we can no more boast of being here in faith and believing than clay can boast of becoming a vase or a cup. The potter did this, not the clay. So what about Israel, which brought Paul so much anguish of heart? Well, consider it a work in progress. A majority were hardened to the gospel. A remnant believed. The same is true in the church. When times get tough, as they are increasingly getting, many are hardened and fall away. But there is always a faithful remnant. And God uses even unbelief for his own good and gracious purposes to save. The hardening of Israel meant a place for the Gentiles including you and me. So we watch and see what God does in our day. He isn't done yet. He's refining, sowing, planting, watering, 
nourishing, calling. He's doing his master potter thing, forming our clay into the image of his son, Jesus. He loves the unlovable. He embraces the whole world in the death of his son. The rule of law works well in the world, but the law cannot bring you the kingdom of God. That is entirely through, by grace through faith in Jesus who bore the sin of the world on the cross. The sins of Ishmael, Esau, Pharaoh, Caiaphas, Pilate, you and me. I'll just tell you one more uh, thing that happened in Vacation Bible School. Apparently there was one young man who, who confessed to his parents that he didn't, he didn't like God, right? And uh, this is a person who had been going to church for a, for a while. But after, I don't know, a day or two, from what I remember, he kind of changed his mind. He said, you know, I think I like, I think I like Jesus, because I know him now, right? So there you go. Your vacation Bible school is uh, vital and well worth the, the effort. And I want to thank uh, all of you who participated in it, uh, whether you were getting snacks together, uh, doing security, whatever, and particularly those who were working in the background, making sure that the that the, everything was reset for the next day. The trash emptied, the water jugs filled, because I'm telling you, when you come in the, early in the morning to get ready to do this thing with all these children, it makes a huge difference when everything is, is clean and set up and ready to go. So I really appreciate all of that. And may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.